Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. It's been a busy week of news, but there's one piece of news we haven't discussed that we think is really important. Dr. Fauci was named the 2020 Federal Employee of the Year by the Partnership Public Service on October 1st. First, let's acknowledge that Dr. Fauci is incompetent. He's the top medical leader in the country with the most COVID deaths. Second, let's acknowledge that the Partnership for Public Service is some DC 501c3 think tank funded by mega corporations like Microsoft, Citibank, Deloitte, and McKinsey. It's a neoliberal institution run by capital interest. It's really exciting to think about the prospects of having the Partnership for Public Services 2020 Federal Employee of the Year serving in the Biden administration. Surely, with Dr. Fauci's help, Biden can immediately bring an end to the COVID crisis when he's sworn in on January 20th, 2021. Because obviously, Biden's going to win, right? There are two populations that want a Biden win. In one corner, there's the blue no matter who crowd. The shit libs, wine moms, the K-Hive, the Peter Butterbar fan club, anybody that voted for Bush but also voted for Hillary. In the other corner, we have Capitol. And they might be on the same team. I love how this is always brought up as a... A Biden's going to win because, you know, you got to vote blue no matter who. Uh, because if you're a good Democrat, you're going to vote for the party ticket. If you're a good shit live living in suburbia, you don't want uh, the chaos that Trump's causing you. Even though, according to Pence, you got $4,000 in your pocket, you know, that's not good enough for you. You're going to do the um, vote blue no matter who. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that as a liberal, as a shit lib, you had your feelings hurt a lot under the Trump administration because you know he's mean, he cheats, he doesn't follow the rules, he doesn't play fairly. He's the kind of guy that tips over the monopoly game because you took all of the land or you got three in a row and you you taking all his money and you won't give him a loan. He's just a, sort of an asshole, and it's all those reasons why you're going to vote for him, not because of policy, not because you believe in Biden and, and you want to run around and support him and and carry the Biden flag and be the douche that that waves a, a four by six flag in your front yard like the Trump assholes. Uh, you just are going to do it because it's blue no matter who. And they're going to vote blue because Biden is not Trump. Not because Biden's a good guy. He's just, you know, blue. So they're basically voting for a Republican. Basically, they're voting for whoever the Democratic Party tells them to because they're not Trump. And and like you said, they're basically voting for a Republican. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has been accused of, of sexual misconduct, is on tape being overtly racist uh voted against desegregation who are we talking about now oh i don't know both <laughs> of them really right <laughs> right i mean you have you have the same candidate basically a 70 year old white male who's got lots of money some with lots of debt who has spent their entire life living privilege now we can talk about backstories and and cry about buying this and buying that oh he amtrak joe but it's weird that his son was able to go get these really cool jobs, right? Amtrak Joe wasn't doing that bad. Um, we can talk about any of like you know how his sons are were in the military or whatever the hell it was. And he's a better American than Trump, but that doesn't really matter because he's just a piece of shit too. It's it's kind of a weird scenario in which both candidates, when they look in the mirror, see a seventy-something-year-old white male who is a been accused of rape and is racist and have no real policies for anything. I mean, under Trump, we got the cleanest air and the cleanest water ever. Under Biden, for 47 years, we keep being told, 
we have dirty water and dirty air. So, I mean, <laughs> what are you really getting with the guy? Uh, but with one of the candidates, we, we can't have brunch, though. No, that's true. That's true. We can't have brunch. And that, that's that's the important takeaway is you have to be able to be civil with one another. You need to be able to, you know, eat, I guess, a breakfast, lunch with those that you love before or after church. I don't really understand brunch. I think it's just kind of a lazy Sunday thing, which I'm into. I don't normally eat breakfast anyways till like 11 o'clock, so I, I like brunch. But brunch is just a super bougie, like, fourth meal thing for rich people, right? Yeah, unless you're eating Pop-Tarts on the subway. Yeah, and call that brunch. <laughs> the real danger here is that... Um, Working class brunch is Pop-Tarts on the subway. Pop-Tarts on the subway. That's yeah, how you get your brunch. That's right. And it's 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 not the cinnamon pop tarts. It's it's got like a, a red color to it, right? Oh my god, strawberry. Yeah, you can't you can't have that cinnamon brown sugar shit. That's nasty. Yeah. But you know when you go to when you go to, you know, the, the bulk food store, that's what you get though. You get half a box of strawberry and half a box of the shitty cinnamon and you kinda just gotta throw those ones away or eat them. It's a tough choice. You know, you know, and back to this whole voting for Biden because he's not Trump, you know, it's it's a really weird spot they're in now too where we're trying to I don't know, um, rewrite the history of Bush in which we know that he was a shitty, terrible president. He was much worse than Trump was. He transferred more wealth out of the Treasury to businesses than Trump has during the Recovery Act. Just so we're aware. He he took more power in the federal government and expanded the federal government than more than Trump has. I mean, he created the Department of Homeland Security. Abolish ICE. Yep. Didn't exist until after 9-11. Didn't exist. ICE didn't didn't exist. You know the the militarization of the police happened under Bush and Obama. I mean the stuff that that Trump's doing is just policy that's continuing continuing on. So uh, this and and guess what Biden voted for it all. So you're having a person that's Biden who fought for the policies of Bush and Obama, who's saying that he's a champion of the working class. He spent his entire career holding the working class down. And then you have Trump, who's the only candidate saying, hey, guess what, assholes, I'm the working class. Is Biden going to win? And the polls are all saying, yes, he's going to win. But what happened to um, our best friend, Hillbot? Hillbot rebooted in Wisconsin by never going to Wisconsin. And she probably thought she was safe because there wasn't a single poll that said Trump was winning in the state, but then Trump won the state. So, I mean, polling obviously wasn't great in 2016. There's a million reasons for this. But a lot of the shit libs keep citing polls as the reason why Biden's going to win. Um, but at the same time, polling is pretty substantially in Biden's favor right now. Uh, you're seeing national polls that have him up by 16%, 21%. And like the margin of error on these polls is fairly low. The discrepancies are so large that it's statistically like useful. But the national polling is not the Electoral College at the same time. Yeah, that's that's important to remember is that the electoral college is who votes the president. And so, when when Hillary got, I think four and a half million illegal votes in California for Trump, you know that doesn't matter. She already won California, so so it doesn't matter how many people she wins any state by. It's important that she wins the state. So, you know, let's look back at twenty sixteen. Diverting resources going into southern and western states like Texas to try to win when she should have been focusing on the important states like Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, Pennsylvania, 
North Carolina, South Carolina, all the areas that, you know, are flip states, Florida, they all went to, not all of them, but, you know, most of them went to Trump, which means he walks away with the win. He gets a W. And are we seeing the same thing with Biden right now? Because he's so, his hubris is so high with the polling. You know, I really don't know. But what I do know is that that mistake needs to, to be in the back of their minds for sure. I mean, Biden's at least going to Wisconsin, whereas Hillary literally didn't go to Wisconsin. I think Biden's trying to compete in states like Arizona and Texas. Uh, whether he's actually going to win there, who knows? At the same time, it's probably not bad strategy to try and expand your base because it forces resource allocation on half the Republicans. But Hillary went too far and attempted to capture too much of what she couldn't, and that cost her. Uh, whether Biden's committing that same error or not, I mean, maybe. Uh, but at the same time, he's running against a completely incompetent incumbent. And regardless of what he should or shouldn't do, you want to believe that he's doing the right thing if you're a blue no matter who voter. Yeah. And, and let's let's talk about you know, a little bit more game theory until we, we jump off and to talk about why it's dangerous that the blue don't matter who people are voting this way. Uh, and, and one of the things with the game theory here is is let's talk about Texas, right? It's a state that you're never going to win. You might win in, in 2020. Oh, that was a prediction 30 years ago. You might win in 2030, but what you really need to do is win the state's legislature. The legislature is important because this is a redistricting cycle, and if you win, you can gerrymander. And so by going to these states, you get to get that hoorah moment or the kumbaya. You get the party together. You get the fundraisers going. You get the energy potentially get some down ballot wins. And that is the important part. The important aspect of a presidential campaign is to get everybody aligned from top to bottom. The issue that we're getting, we're having right now with Biden is that his platform doesn't necessarily align with a lot of the candidates that are running in local areas. Because he's so soft on things like banning fracking, so he goes to areas that have fracking issues, they don't have anything or a voice to run on. Because he's so soft on you know, police reform, all the candidates running on police reform, they can't count on any of the support there because he's soft on that. So so a lot of the, the, lot of the messaging on the lower level, the local, hyper-local area, they don't get to pick up on any of the messaging from Biden because he's so counterproductive for it. And that's one of the dangerous parts about the blue no matter who is that you're grabbing onto a candidate who has no real progressive agenda, let alone, you know, left at all. Let's just say progressive, which is a fucking shitty word to say. But he has no real message that, that actually reverberates anybody at the local level. Yeah, he doesn't have coattails. So Biden can talk about these issues at a national level. And he can get up there and say, you know, orange Cheetos in the White House are bad. But is somebody voting at the local level, at the city council level, at the local state house level? Do, do they really care about fracking? Uh, are they going to be excited to go turn out for Joe and then vote on issues that joe is sort of diametrically opposed to sort of like fracking are you going to go vote for your house rep that opposes fracking and then simultaneously vote for joe while at the same time being motivated to go vote for joe probably not but you might be vote motivated to go vote against trump and then vote down ballot. that might be something that happens that might be something that happens and, and i and i don't know what what he's going to accomplish here by being so middle of the ground, because it may be one of those things where you vote for Joe because he's the moderate Republican in the race and you still vote down ballot Republican. Because if you're a Republican, 
why would you want to give up your house seat? Why would you want to give up your local representative? Why would you want to give up your city council or your judges? You don't. And so, so this, this is just a, he's such a shitty candidate. And it, this leads into the next group of people that support Joe and the dangerous people, which is capital, right? Capital wants Biden in the presidency because it preserves capital's power because Biden does a few things. They know that he supports the repeal of Glass-Steagall. If everybody doesn't know what that means, that means it's about the amount of money a bank can leverage. So they're supposed to hold some of the assets in order for them not to go bankrupt. But when they repeal it, they can hold very little assets and then leverage themselves so much that any wrinkle in the market could mean cash out of failure of the bank. It allows banks to speculate to a greater degree versus their normal activities such as just loans and lending. Yep. And it kind of... It kind of um, Remove some of the ability to of, of of when you talk about their investment arm versus their their just banking arm, they become sort of a gray area together, and that essentially led to the housing collapse in two thousand and eight because that speculation was also tied to their ability to lend, which is also tied to their ability to you know hold the debt of all the houses around them. So it's a, it's actually super important, or really important for us to have these things in place. But Biden doesn't care about those, so he's he's. You know, Trump does serve capital. He is part of capital. He has made his money being a capitalist. But I don't think he understands the policies needed in order for it to be a national, you know, economy built around capital. Yeah, Trump doesn't really serve the interests of capital. He says too much of the bad shit out loud. He's not really competent. He bungles a lot of the economic kind of storytelling that's needed to promote capital's existence. Uh Saying stuff like the, you know, the banks in 2008 were bad. It, it's like, shh, shh, we don't need to be saying that out loud. Uh, whereas Biden just goes along and says, I saved the auto industry. I, you know, we had a collapsing economy and I saved it. So he understands what the messaging is. He understands that capital wants to be viewed favorably, not as part of the problem, but part of the solution in some way, shape or form. Yeah, Biden is a complete neoliberal candidate he's a giant piece of shit he will do everything he can to not only support capital but also chip away at every single foundation that there is within the government and he would do it competently where trump throws grenades in rooms and he runs around like an asshole yelling and, and screaming and being wild biden won't do that his advisors will secretly pass bills with the help of republicans and democrats that chip away at all the things that we hold dear again you know, raising the limits or ages of Social Security. He says he wants to lower that. That's bullshit. The only way to lower it is to tax more. He's not going to repeal the taxes. He's saying that he doesn't have the votes for it. There's no way to do it, right? They're not going to go back. They're not going to nationalize the telecoms because he's not going to do that. That would be against capital. He's not going to uh, wrangle in the banks. He just won't do that because that's not in the interest of capital. He's not going to make sure that, that retirements are not part of the speculation with the stock market. He won't do that. He was not going to create a national bank for us to invest in, like South Dakota has. Or is it North Dakota? Which Dakota has it? I want to say it's North Dakota. We should have a national level one. You can, you can go to the post office. You can do checks. You can do basic bank. But that hurts capital because right. a lot of banks make money on overdraft fees and you know, check cashing and stuff like that. Uh, Trump's also kind of ushered in a resurgence of the left coalition that we hadn't really seen since Occupy Wall Street at the end of Bush's term. 
and Capital, I think, is very eager to have the same playbook that our old friend Barry enacts with Occupy Wall Street to basically just crush it. And that's the playbook that they're hoping Biden will use to probably snuff out some of the Black Lives Matter protests uh, should Biden win. Yeah, let's remember that the left tends to get soft when they think of progressives in office. Nothing burned under Obama because they thought he was on their side. And it's not true. He was never on anybody's side. I mean, again, we brought in a few episodes. Everybody knows this, right? That for all the police violence that happened under Obama, the only thing he could come up with for a solution was a beer summit, right? So he's not going to change. Biden's never going to change. It, it's it's just nuts. And what's going to happen when, and, you know, uh, you can you can dissect Occupy Wall Street we can dissect Black Lives Matter, we can dissect a bunch of the failed movements, is that what we see is that a bunch of 20-year-old, newly radicalized people, which we love, thank God they exist, um, begin to fight. But because there's no centrally planned party, there is no left party to teach them what they need to do or to hold their hand or to guide them or give them wisdom, they come with a huge like level of energy. And then all of a sudden they peter out because guess what capital does? Capital waits. Capital waits them out. They get tired. Uh, they fall apart. The ranks begin to break. They get infiltrated. You know, they begin to get uh, divided and conquered by, you know, we should have this and not that. You, you see this time and time again, and it's a major playbook. And then when Biden comes in now, because he's a liberal, the energy won't be there because he's going to lend them an ear. It'll be a deaf ear, but he's going to lend an ear to them. And nothing's going to change. You're going to wait four years. Same thing happens with Occupy Wall Street. There's another, or a, a Black Lives Matter, there's another group of 20-somethings that pop up, they get smashed down by capital, and it happens over and over again. Yeah, the institution of capital is pretty much undefeated at this point. They have resources beyond any 20-somethings comprehension to outlast anything that might be thrown their way. Another example of capital as an institution supporting Biden is Goldman Sachs came out, I think, last week and basically said that if you have... Uh, single party control, you'll see uh, stimulus advance more quickly, and that will lead to a greater uh, economic expansion, which is basically like saying uh, the party in control will bend to our will more quickly and in a unified manner so that we can uh, make more money more quickly. And then on the other hand, you have Trump pumping out a tweet that says we're not going to do stimulus negotiations and the market tanks in you know, 3% in an hour and all of capital is like, what the hell are you doing? Like, that doesn't help us. So you have, you know, the big Wall Street banks supporting Biden, and you have Trump at the same time kind of going out of his way to fuck over these institutions in a very overt manner. And that, I mean, that's playing out as a little bit of a proxy war that's probably going on between the candidates and the, the, the big banks that are, I think, at this point, completely supporting Biden's candidacy. To wrap the section up, the vote blue no matter who has aligned themselves with capital. The two are now going to be fighting hand in hand to get Biden elected, which means in the end, you're going to be supporting all the bankers' ability to make money because you decided to vote blue no matter who. But the alternative is voting Trump, which is basically a petite uh, authoritarian who has no idea what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, there's not a good choice. Um, and I mean, that's kind of our point. So once once Biden is president, COVID's just going to go away, right? Well, it has to because once he's president, you know the 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 forty billion that would have died under H one N one will magically not have happened, and COVID just instantly gives up because we all know it's a Chinese trap. 
And as soon as he says, hey, I'm president, the, the virus self-destructs for sure. He goes into the White House, he flips a little glass box over and he hits the end COVID button. Yeah, it's like the the simple red button that's that one store has. That was easy. The no more COVID button. And you just hit it and COVID goes away and that's what Biden's plan is. So, it, I mean, it doesn't really make a lot of sense that once Biden becomes president, like anything is going to miraculously be different. He's going to have the same cast of characters that are largely involved in the healthcare sector currently, still working on a vaccine, still working on public policy, still doing the talking head stuff. And he's going to have the cast of characters that were involved in creating Obamacare that didn't solve anything. So it it just doesn't seem to me like anything's going to magically resolve itself when Biden's president. Well, does Biden have a filibuster-proof Senate? No. Does he have the balls to change the Senate rules? No. So, I mean, at the end of the day, how fast do you want progress to happen? You have two years to write to rewrite all the laws of the land. It took, what, nine months to write Obamacare, and we got 1,100 pages of just nonsense handouts to, to big corporations. I mean, that that's who's writing the laws. So uh, I don't think anything's going to change. In fact, it may just secretly get worse from, from just a pure um, pressure on the working class as deflation kicks in because of the cost of items needing to go down to increase the amount of people that are buying to the cost of inflation on the things like in farm goods, it actually might get squeezed pretty hard here in the next couple of years. So if you're if you're Biden and you become president on January whatever twentieth, what what can you actually tangibly do to affect COVID? Like he he's kind of wishy washy on whether there should be a mask mandate. And arguably the mask mandate is the single most important thing that could be done from a basic scientific efficacy point of view. But I don't think he'll do that. And I think if he does something like that, you're going to get all the Trump supporters just openly rebelling and doing just even more stupid shit, like not wearing masks and licking you know, target shopping carts to spite Biden. Or they're going to form militias like they did in Michigan and try to overthrow the government there. I mean, it, is, it might get dangerous. I mean, Biden can do exactly what Trump said he was going to do and issue the National Guard. He can say things like, you know, the Constitution gives them the ability to regulate commerce. They can say you can't do commerce in the whole United States without wearing a mask. If you do so, it's a federal offense. You know, there's all these things he could do. But will he do it? No, because what happens is it get challenged through all the court systems. And it'll go to the Supreme Court. And with the 6-3, you know, ruling, it's going to go that, that he doesn't have the power to do this. Maybe this actually thinking about it might not be a bad situation where he overreaches the federal government and then there's a series of Supreme Court decisions that actually pull back the president's power. That massively weaken the executive branch. That might be great. That actually might be where it needs to be. So that's a good outcome, right? That's actually a good outcome. Yeah, let, let Biden try to do positive things through legislation and executive orders and allow the Supreme Court, the conservative Supreme Court, to slap it down, which then sets up the failures of the, of the future conservative presidents like Trump, who can no longer just put ex, you know executive orders in place that fundamentally change the laws of the land. So that's all good at the national level, but what as an individual sort of can you do to protect yourself from the do-nothing Biden administration? Buy a gun, get out cash, build a bunker, buy ammunition, lock your daughter up. Hide your kids, hide your dog. Hide your wife, yeah. Hide your wife, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we're talking about COVID right here, it's it's really, you know, this is not us. We're not, we're not Fauci, so we're actually competent. Um, 
you know, social distance, one, two, always wear a mask, three, wash your hands and practice good hygiene, four, make sure you have hand sanitizer available when you can't wash your hands. That's it. I mean, that's that's how you can really do, right? If you feel like shit, don't go out of the house. If your friends that feel like shit, don't let them come over. So as sort of time goes by, you're going to see a group of people that is, that is just bored of social distancing. Now, I've been staying at home. I've seen the same four people for eight months. I'm bored of it. And people around me are getting sick, so... I'm going to stop adhering to the rules. I'm going to go eat brunch or I'm going to go do whatever other selfish activity I want to participate in. And if enough people do this, uh, there's going to be some effect. So like, how does that resolve itself? Yeah, this is going to be one of those things where we're going to have flare-ups and then we're going to have shutdowns again. We talked about this early on. Yeah, so what's going to happen when people become selfish and we're going to see the flare-ups. We're going to see the the massive lockdowns again and flare-ups again. We're going to get this fatigue and this this whole media cycle. It's just totally forgotten about COVID, by the way. No one's reporting deaths. No one's reporting that every state's seeing an increase in cases. No one's reporting that you know every NFL team seems to have a person that's sick. Nobody's talking about the number of police officers who don't wear masks or are getting sick. No one, you know, the, the fatigue itself is going to set in, and people are going to start questioning whether or not it's working and that's because the media's job was to protect us and say it was working and that's not going to happen uh and it's not happening now so you just have to either wait for the vaccine uh so so a vaccine is a long way away right yeah johnson and johnson just stopped trials everybody's gonna stop trials i mean you you can't force through a vaccination in record time because that's not how it works uh, quite honestly vaccinations come through at record time because that's how long it really takes to make a vaccine so the four years it takes to make a vaccine is record time because nobody fucks around when they're making a vaccine because why would you? It's capital is making it. They're trying to make money off the vaccine. They're not going to, you know, dilly dally around and go, well, what if you made the serum blue instead of clear? Then that's not how that works. You know, there are things that they might sidestep like stability and testing for long term efficacy, um, but I guess you can sidestep that for the initial vaccine. But let's say you administered a million vaccines and it has a two week, you know, lifespan. Is that, was that really worth cutting out everything and, and, and pushing it through? Not really. And that's the reason why these vaccines take so long. Cause you have to know whether or not it lasts a year. They have to have a controlled trial that has antibodies in place to know how long it lasts for. So the vaccine, yeah, it could be developed in a year and a half and it could be readily available. We won't actually know the effects of the vaccine for two years from now. So in the meantime, basically the best option we have is just increasing accessibility to testing, yep. which um, I think in most states, testing is much more accessible than it was, say, in March. The tests are more accurate. There's more types of tests. The test is less invasive. You can do it yourself. It appears to me anyway that the, the current near-term solution is just going to be frequent testing. If you think you have it, go get tested. Yeah, and there's two types of tests that we should talk about, two groups of testing. One is... Do you have an active COVID um, infection in your body? And the other is whether or not you have antibodies in your bloodstream. Knowing whether you have COVID is much more actionable than knowing whether you have antibodies because it's still not an absolute certainty that antibodies actually infer immunity. But what I will say is that still get your flu shot because flu may or may not happen this year. Signs are pointing to no flu because guess what? The same social distancing and hygiene and cleanliness practices that you've taken for COVID actually work against almost every single other disease for humans on this planet. Um, so still get your flu shot because we know it's, it's preventable, but also it may not actually come 
because you're wearing a mask and washing your hands and cleaning your groceries. So in the end, it doesn't matter who wins. COVID is here for at least the winner because boomers are incapable of enduring transient inconvenience. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.